Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. Fresh Text is a weekly podcast where a pair of pastor scholars study a scripture passage drawn from a revised common lectionary. We hope it will be enjoyable and edifying for all, and especially equipping for those who are preparing sermons or lessons in the upcoming weeks. I'm your host, John Drury. I'm discipleship pastor for Indiana Wesleyan University in Marion, Indiana. And my guest this week is Joy J. Moore. Joy has been on the show a number of times before. In fact, uh, it was one of our very first guests when we first piloted this show, I don't know, over five years ago almost now, uh, when we were first did our first kind of uh, pilot episodes. She was one of our first guests and uh, love having her on the show. Uh, she is a professor of preaching at Luther Seminary in Minnesota and a wonderful uh, preacher and uh, scholar of the scriptures. You can find all her various writings and lots of sermons that you can find on YouTube and other places. So uh, definitely check her out if you haven't yet. And today we're talking about Psalm 113, Psalm 113. While you're listening to the show today, if you're enjoying it, just press the share button on your podcast player app of choice, and you can pass this along to others so they may enjoy it as well. And if you'd like to support the show, just go to patreon.com slash fresh text to see ways that you can become one of our patron saints. Thanks for listening and enjoy this conversation with joy. Awesome. All right. So we're reading Psalm, what we've numbered 113. And I'll be reading from Robert Outler's The Book of Psalms, a translation. Hallelujah. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the Lord's name. May the Lord's name be blessed now and forevermore. From the place the sun rises to where it sets, praised be the name of the Lord. Oh, over all nations, the Lord over the heavens, his glory. Who is like the Lord, our God? Who sits high above, who sees down below in the heavens and on the earth. He raises the poor from the dust, from the dung heap, lifts the needy to seat him among princes, among the princes of his people. He seats the barren women in her home, a happy mother of sons. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we ask that as Joy and I reflect on this psalm of praise, that you would place praise on our lips and on the lips of all those listening in, but that along with that, you'd also grant us wisdom and insight that we may offer our own words, not in place of, but in order to bear witness to uh, what we see and hear in these words. And may the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. All right. So what do you notice here? Psalm 113. Hallelujah. (laughs) Well, it's a praise psalm. And um, just a reminder, I wanted to say as we were starting this week, uh, first making note of the difference between psalms that are petitions and psalms that are praise but I um, took a look at Bonhoeffer's book on on reading the Psalms, and he 
makes a statement that um, made me grateful for your taking the time to go through the Psalms in this deliberate way. Uh, He says, wherever we no longer pray the Psalms in our churches, we must take up the Psalter that much more in our daily morning and evening prayers, reading and praying together at least several Psalms every day so that we succeed in reading through this book a number of times each year, getting into it deeper and deeper. And Bonhoeffer just appreciated the richness of the Psalms. And and I like to remind us, I think I said the last time I was here, that the songs are really where you hear the philosophies of the people. And this is the song or the ancient playlist of Israel. And so Bonhoeffer's uh, exhortation to call us back to allowing the Psalms to richly dwell in us is good. Sometimes because it simply gives words to us that uh, expresses what we can't express. And this is um, one of my favorite Psalms because of a line that Outler doesn't translate, but that the line that talks about uh, the timing of uh, from the rising of the sun to the setting of the same. Uh, and I think Bonhoeffer kind of captures that. God's name is to be praised from the beginning of the day to the end of the day, from the highest places to the lowest places. It's vertical, it's horizontal, it's 3D, it's a recognition that, to use another psalm, everything that has breath needs to praise the Lord. And it's such an incredible call, and that's what strikes out for me for this song. Yeah, so, boy, I mean, first, just on that great Bonhoeffer quote, I mean, there you have someone, you know, almost 90 years ago, already recognizing that the Psalter had kind of lost its centrality mm-hmm. in Christian worship, that it's, I mean, it's it's sad on one level, but also kind of encouraging to know that, well, this is a perennial problem. It's not like we're getting it right for 2,000 years and just recently forgot the Psalms. He's like, no, th- this is a recurring struggle in the church because we want to have our own words of praise, as we should, mm-hmm. composing our own songs. Mm-hmm. But then occasionally we can sort of lose track of the words that the Psalms give to us, the prayer book of the Bible, as he as he calls it in the title right. of that that book that I imagine you're quoting from. Yep, it is. Yeah, and you're right. So that's interesting that you pointed out about verse three because Alter Alter kind of translates it as a spatial kind of east to west, right? Kind of f- the place the sun rises to where it sets, mm-hmm. leaving the previous line to be the more temporal one, right? May the Lord's name be blessed now and forevermore. So there, there's a kind of time, but from the rising of the sun to its setting or the setting of the same, I, I'm guessing and I'm checking now, but. I'd put money down that 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 same line's coming from from the rising of the sun to the setting of the same. There you go. Yeah. From the rising of the sun unto the going down of the same. There's the Here King James. King That's James. the King James. Yeah. 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 Well, New Revised doesn't say of the same. And that's the line that I love. Yeah, and the the advantage of leaving it ambiguous is it is it works as both a time measure and a space measure. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And altar kind of falls off the log to make it a, a space measure, right? This is all the places, which links up to what you mentioned earlier about 150, you know, all of creation. That's the upside there. But I think there's something beautiful about morning and evening. Alter you know. does that in, you know, from time to time, from now and forevermore, and then from east to west. 
And then it becomes the vertical relationships because that's right. Humanity. And so that was the 3D that I was, that I was referencing. That's perfect. Yeah. Why I read his. And um, then re- repeated with the, you know, first high above all nations and over the heavens. And then the next line, who is like the Lord, our God, who sits high above mm-hmm. and who sees down below. So you get the up and the down. Yeah. Yeah. In the heavens and on the earth. Mm-hmm. So no, I like that 3D, right? Mm-hmm. East, West, now, forward and backward, now and forever, up and down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Totally expansive. Yes. Yes. My colleague, Ralph Jacobson, says that uh, the main purpose of praise is to tell who God is by telling what God has done. It's a testimony. And uh, so, the, uh, as we move toward the uh, end of the psalm, and it specifically talks about what God has done to demonstrate God's capacity for good and what it looks like. And uh, there is the gendered language that would be true for that time. Men would be sitting among the princes and women would be, I'm going to use a dangerous language here, the heads of household. Uh, (laughs) uh, You know, you're going to get some feedback on that one. But that home life is the place that is the place of promise for the barren woman. My colleague Jacobson talks about this prayer resembling Hannah's praise. You know, this extreme prayer that comes out of thirst and hunger and desire and longing and want filled. And this God who does this, who does the miraculous, who gives a barren woman a lineage, a family. Wow, is that not praiseworthy? And so where do we tell the testimony of what God is doing or how God is showing up and showing out in our lives? Oh, that's really good. I mean, let's just go there right now. I think there's, I mean, further parallels, but that seems like a first good parallel to to acknowledge because of the not just the reference to a barren woman being given child, but then how that's located in the the larger statement of God, sort of lifting up the lowly. Yes. And then implicitly there, bringing down the high. So, so yeah, here's Hannah's prayer from First Samuel. I won't necessarily do the whole thing, but you know, my heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. So it's it's a it's a, a, a song of praise in its own way. Mm-hmm. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. So there's that incomparability theme mm-hmm. that we have in ours. And then kind of brings down the high for a few verses, culminating in verse 6, or no, verse 5. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. Mm-hmm. The barren has borne seven she has many children's forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. <laughs> the Lord makes the poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. So almost identical language. He lifts up the needy from the ash heap, which is really, really close to this <laughs> language here in 113 of he raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. So yeah, it's the same yeah, exact, just different translations. 
It's the same language in the original. So, I mean, this is very, very close. So what, what you have in starting uh, with this um, uh, admonition of, of, of Bonhoeffer is if you know these songs, if you know these psalms, and you have this experience in your life, you are capable of greater creativity because you have a vocabulary to reach in. You don't have to come up with, how do I explain the awesomeness of this moment? Well, it's it's like having letters to form words. You have words or images in order to form your expression because God has shown up and shown up in your life. But if you don't have that, when you have this all, all you can say is a simple wow. And sometimes wow isn't big enough. Oh, that's great. That's great. So, yeah. so Hannah, Hannah so needs some expanding. Cool. Yeah. And you can go into your narrative of your own life, which is yes. also legitimate. Yes. But also being able to to expand out, enlarge the heart to the story of God with his people, not just, you know, my own story, which is also valid. But even even in Hannah's case, where it's imbe- uh, you have a poem embedded in a narrative, the actual poem doesn't actually talk a lot of a lot of specifics about her. It's it right. it, it expands beyond just her own experience. Although her uh, individual experience matters too. Its significance is seen in this broader scope. I like that language of, of giving language. I mean, sometimes we're tempted to imagine that something's inauthentic if it's not our own words. And I can see the logic of that with words to some extent as, I mean, as a musician who's, <laughs> I mean, I, I play music and, and when I'm playing music, I don't pay a lot of attention to the words, to be honest, uh, ashamed. Well, I used to be ashamed of that. Now I'm just like, that's me, man. I've heard musicians say, well, it can be distracting if you're yeah. going to have music in the background because they don't need words. You don't need words. The music yeah. is enough. Yeah. And I think of, I can't imagine a musician who would say that I don't listen to music because I'm trying to compose my own. Like, that would be crazy. Of course, you're constantly listening to music and it doesn't render it inauthentic that those things are influencing you and shaping you then when you create your own. And of course, a lot of what you create, you you cover songs and you put your own twist on it. Exactly. And I think uh, especially these praise psalms invite us to to pray them, but to also riff on them, make them our own, Mm -hmm. uh, put our own twists on them. And you can actually see a, a little of that even happening in the Bible here where it's possible this psalm is influenced by... This is almost a shorter, yes, uh, more more uh, generic, use, usable version of that long poem in First Samuel. That's likely much older. I mean, you, the standard theory. I mean, it's debated, but the standard theory is the the poetry embedded in those narratives tend to be some of your oldest psalms. Mm-hmm. So you you already have some development and conversation happening within the canon, where something that was used for a specific situation in the Psalter is then sort of expanded and and become more general, more universally accessible to all the people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know. It's a fun thought about making it our own. When you you think of it is, you know, we, you know, with, with our Kindles now, we carry our libraries on our phone, but we're more likely to put our earbuds in to listen to music and then to hum along, you know, to read something, you have to be more attentive. You can't have a, a book, listen to a book being read to you in conversation, but you can have music in the background. 
unless you're a true musician, like I was deciding before, where, where it becomes distracting. But in that sense, that's what the Psalms represent. They, they represent that backdrop of how do I recognize the God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever when God shows up in this moment? Because what God is doing in this moment, God has done before. And because of that consistency spelled faithfulness, I can anticipate that whatever I face tomorrow, God's going to show up and show out there too. And that's what keeps us going. You know, if God can show up and take the lowest and raise them up, if God can take emptiness and turn it into fullness, if God can meet our longings with fullness again, then that God is worth knowing and worth knowing God's story because my story, in some ways, it is unique. It's me. And I don't want you to live my life, but because of my life in God, I want you to be encouraged in your life. And so you don't have to be like me, but you can trust the God I trust because this God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's so great. Well, let's take a quick break and come back and uh, keep on digging. we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with my guest, uh, Joy Moore, and we're looking at uh, Psalm 113. So let's read it again to have it fresh in the ears. So I've been reading from Robert Alter quite a bit in this series, and so it's fun to have you bring him in, so I'll use something different. So uh, since we referenced it earlier, let's let's hear it in the King James, which, you know, Psalter is probably the only place where I still use the King James from time to time. But Yes. So praise ye the Lord. Praise, O ye servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Bless the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun unto the going down of the same, the Lord's name is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like unto the Lord our God who dwelleth on high, who humbleth himself to behold the things that are in heaven? And in the earth, he raiseth up the poor out of the dust and lifteth the needy out of the dunghill, that he may set him with princes, even with the princes of his people. He maketh the barren woman to keep house and to be a joyful mother of children. Praise ye the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Yeah, so uh, let's zoom in a little bit on these last three verses, the raising up, uh, the lifting up, the setting, the seating mm-hmm. of a man with princes and a seating of the, the barren woman in the house and all that stuff. So let's, let's zoom in a little bit on that. What, what, do you, what do you notice there that seems uh, worth reflecting on and interpreting and making sense of as it, you know, in their world, in our world? Yeah, yeah. So one of the things that I brought this up uh, in our first segment where, you know, I talked about a moving from the gendered identity of a man sitting among the princes and a woman at home. Um, but I wanted to zero in on that just uh, to make it noteworthy that for our culture today, as well as in that culture, that it was important 
for the psalmist to make note that let's be clear when we're talking about humanity, humans have been created male and female in the image of God. And so this isn't about the guys. This is about uh, the servants of the Lord. And uh, going back up to that opening verse, the servants could be specifically uh, a reference to, you know, a particular tribe or a particular, you know, the Levites or, uh, but it could also be referenced to all. So whether it is, you know, a, a generic reference to the people of God or specific call to the leaders among the people of God, it moves toward the end of this psalm to say, let's be clear. This is about all created in the image of God. And it doesn't say that women aren't considered here. And I think too often we miss the fact that the intentionality of the writers of Scripture to include both men and women make it very difficult for us to use the Bible to exclude one from offering testimony to the presence of God. Yeah, and even though there is a, I mean, there's a clear kind of division of labor, as it were, among the princes at the, at the home. It's uh, importantly, I mean, the King James is kind of, in this case, wildly inaccurate with the verbiage of keep house. Clearly there, yeah. some dude in 1611 was reading into that, exactly, that Hebrew okay. word because it's the identical. And, and here's ESV is slightly better, but only slightly. It's, you know, verse eight is to make them sit with princes so it pluralizes the first, mm-hmm. um, and then he gives the barren woman a home, sort of reading into the first line from the second, because now mm-hmm. they're a joyous mother of children. In the Hebrew, it's the exact same verb twice. God seats him among the princes, and God seats a barren woman of the house, right? So it's this language of sitting, and then it's related to the verb used to describe God who is sitting high above. So the God who sits enthroned in heaven also then gives authority to even a lowly poor man is lifted up and given a seat in the council of the leaders Yeah, and a barren woman, a woman who's been stripped of the vocation uh, of motherhood is, is given, is seated with the authority of motherhood, like you said earlier, as the head of the household, which is actually how that's structured. Mm-hmm. I just love the play on words with seat here. And I think Alter tries to catch it when he says, he raises the poor from the dust to seat him among the princes, and then he seats the barren woman in her home. So he, this is a, one of the few translations that actually goes out of its way because it is a little awkward. What does it mean to sit a barren woman? At home? You know what I mean? Yeah. But in context, it kind of fits. And all of a sudden, now you have this movement of seating, mm-hmm. of God's seating, mm-hmm. and then his his action of giving a seat, giving authority in these different locations. I don't know how that resonates with you, but I thought I'd pitch it for yeah, what it's no, worth. That's, that's exactly, it's almost as if we had scripted this, because the question I wanted to ask is whether or not you paid attention to the Hebrew is the term for the one who is poor exclusively a male term or is it a people term? Yeah, let's take a look. I'll explain why I ask. Yeah, so I mean, it's a, the word is conjugated as masculine and a singular, mm-hmm. which is interesting. But of course, the masculine 
and it's even an adjective here kind of used as a substantive adjective. So the, I wouldn't read too much into the gender. It could very easily operate generically. And that was, so, that was yeah. what I was reading as well. And so it goes uh, back to this idea of God lifting up the lowly. And in the time of judges, women were judges. So bringing up the lowly without gender specificity, but the specificity of a woman makes that even a bolder statement because the way both Outlord translates it and also I'm looking now at the new revised and it says uh, in verse seven, he raises the poor. Yeah. And that works just fine. Exactly. So you don't, you, it's not the man who's poor and the woman who's barren. It's specifically a poor generically yeah, and specifically a woman who doesn't have that vo- expected vocation and is granted it. It becomes Yeah, vocal. no, I think that that is clear than even when I first looked at first I was and part of it is not wrong but just the the tendency towards parallelism. Mm-hmm. You know, to have two characters and play mm-hmm. them off each other is very very psalmic, but I mean even the in verse 8 that he the Lord mm-hmm. may seat that one. There's there's no uh, pronoun. There's no pronoun there. There's no pronoun. Um, there is attached to the end, but it's not gendered. It's just yeah. to seat him, her, it. Yeah. Right with princes. That's the way. Uh, I read so it. it does leave open that everything's in one way to read it would to say everything's kind of building up to this barren woman. So it could be that there's an intentional kind of creating of a misdirect, right? Where you're mm-hmm. like. Oh, okay, yeah, the poor. Oh, specifically, the the poverty of barrenness may have been maybe even filling out that in some sense this is one character woven throughout. No, that that's nice. I like that because yeah, with Psalms we have the parallel, we have you know all of those different moves. But one of the things that we have is a chiasm, and so what do you have if that idea of the servants at the beginning is not simply the leaders? But it truly is all, mm-hmm. and so that you get uh, when you get to this last verse, what do you have is the generations, the lineage. One way of seeing that, if you were to read it as a chiasm and not just the verse by verse parallel. No, I see that. That's really good because uh, servants of the Lord could be referring to uh, some some particular set of characters or role in the priestly. A community, or it could be generically speaking of God's people. And now this makes me think of another parallel, which is obviously connected to the to the Hannah story and rooted in it, and that's Mary's Magnificat. Yes, yes. Which opens with you know this reference to being a servant of the Lord. Yes, and is preceded in the story of you know, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. May it be so with me according to your word. But yeah, then the, you know, my soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked upon that this language here of humbling him, stooping down to look upon his lowly servant. Mm-hmm. So the language and imagery is all very resonant in these different texts. The beauty of poetry is its openness for interpretation and also this recognition of what does it mean to be human? What it means to be human here, as well as in the uh, the as you just did uh, with Mary, 
is to be the one who bears the image of God. And so my testimony in words and in my life bears witness to the presence and promise and peace of God. Wow, that's good news. That's very good news. And it suddenly occurs to me that there's a a potential allusion to that image of God, that image bearing man, Adam, you know, male and female, brought up out of the dust with the reference to raising the poor from the dust. (laughs) At first glance, this is dust as bad, down, lowly, brought out from it, saved from poverty. And that's true. That that is what's happening. Mm -hmm. But there's a subtle reminder in there that we're all from the dust and there's something actually that, that there's something what's wrong is not just that the poor are in the dust, but that others have lifted themselves over the poor. It's, it's the, the spread. It's the separation. Yes. It's the dominance of one over the other of the rich, of the poor, of high to low of male over female, right? It's, it's those kind. it's taking these distinctions that are part of God's natural order and turning them into hierarchies of superiority and of, and of subordination that disrupt the image of God as a communion of persons and of creatures in this covenant story that God is unveiling, right? Yeah, writing, composing, engaging in himself. So that the idea of the poor from the dust has this subtle recollection of, well, we all come from the dust. That's what it means to be human, is to be needy. Yes. Right? We're all poor before God. Um, but God doesn't lord that over us. He then seats us and gives us authority. Beautiful. Yeah, that's great. So let's uh, let's take a quick break and uh, yeah, explore some sermon preach. starters. Yeah, <laughs> we're already on the cusp of it. It's great. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with my guest uh, Joy J. Moore. We're looking at Psalm one. 13 psalm 113 the first of the the great stretch of six hallelujah psalms here before before the the praise to the law in 119 so <laughs> yeah so i mean you know really the the first one of the first pure praise songs in yes. the psalter in that way and so in some ways we're it's we're we've been spending a lot of time talking about praise but talking about what we praise god for the kind of god that god is especially as narrated in those last couple of verses but with all that in mind, let's explore some sermon starters. Where would you go with this or what recommendations would you have for our listeners if they're developing sermons or lessons on this text? Uh, where, where do you think we should go? So, you know, I'm a narrative preacher. And so one of the things I would uh, invite folks to do is to do what we've done, and that is to place it in a narrative, you know, to uh, place it uh, in uh, either a call of the people to be take on their role as servants of God who give praise, or specifically along the lines of the story of Hannah, or as you beautifully brought out, the story of of Mary. And the other challenge might be to say, how do we um, take the time to do this kind of poetry that makes God front and central, where God gets a big wow, and to do it poetically? So here is the storyteller saying, you know, you can set it up by saying, you know, in this moment, these two women needed a way to express God's goodness, and they broke out in song, and then parallel that with, 
And in this moment in our lives where, you know, in really in this moment where we've seen so much sadness, we've seen so much loss, we've had so much to lament, and yet make that turn where in the sermon you begin to find the ways where beyond time, beyond space, among all, God is to be praised. And then to give some great imagery to do that and to risk being poetic in doing that. So those are the two big starters I would throw out there for folks to consider. Yeah, so those narrative connections, both within scripture and in our own, and then risk being a poetic yourself. All the the ups and downs and backwards and forwards, I mean, maybe it's just because I'm kind of a geek and have been keeping up with all these images that have been coming from the the James Webb telescope. Oh, right. You right. Know, <laughs> which, yes. of course, are always looking back in time yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. because of the way that light travels. Mm-hmm. There's been a part of me, I mean, to riff on that a little bit and to, to maybe sort of see that as an intertext, especially with the first half of this sermon. Mm-hmm. I mean, the first half of the Special psalm. Text. Mm-hmm. To sort of see some find some inspiration perhaps in looking at some of those images, whether you, whether you'd show them in the sermon or not, that's, that's up to you, but uh, to find some inspiration there to find language, to describe just the absolute total unfathomable height and depth and length and width of God's authority and praiseworthiness. And it's interesting how, I mean, you know, if, if there is a distinction, and, and I mean, at least from a genre point of view, there is a distinction between a, a praise psalm and a thanksgiving psalm, even though it gets concrete at the end here, it's a concrete universal, right? It's talking about the barren woman. It's not saying I was a barren woman and I experienced this. In fact, part of the power of a praise psalm like this is you might not be feeling these very emotions right. and find these to be helpful words of hope. It could be that seven, eight, and nine resonate because that's not the, what we're experiencing. And we're reaching out to say, we still believe God that you're this kind of God. You've done it before. You did it. You know, you did it for Hannah. Yeah. You did it for mother Mary. Yeah. Um, You've done it for this and that person in our own history and congregation, you know, yes, yes. You don't seem like you're doing it right now, but we believe this is still you. And so God do this again. Do it again. Those petitions aren't there on the surface, but they might be, you know, in some sense implied or, or implied is the wrong word. You don't have to be experiencing this yourself right now to sing these words. Exactly. Right? Yeah, it comes back to, to Bonhoeffer's inv- invitation for us to have these so that we are reminded in those moments when we need them most. Because Bonhoeffer was clearly not writing in a time of peace. He was not writing in the midst of good, but he needed these words of promise that God is good, that God is trustworthy. And we need that vocabulary. And we need to be reminded, as as you were pointing out, of just how grand God is, unfathomable. And it's all good. It all compels us to look like these images. You know, it's like, it's like, wow, we're looking back and it's incredible. And to preach a sermon in such a way that folks realize, I don't have to say, yes, that's me. 
I can say, yes, that's God. And because that's God, I'm okay. I'm going to be okay. It's going to be all right. Sometimes that's what we need. And maybe more than ever, that's what we need right now. Well, that's really good. I mean, I've been learning to listen to those who say, I don't see myself in this or that reading. I don't see myself in this text of scripture. And I want to listen to that and respond to that. But it's helpful to hear you say there's another way to see it, which is when you see God in it, (laughs) and if God is in me, then it is relevant to me, even if I don't see my exact experience represented in this text. Because there's a sense in which this is a foreign world. You know, this is coming from an ancient time. Mm -hmm. There's all sorts of assumptions that are just taken for granted. But there's another sense in which the God that's being praised here is one and the same identical God. And they were not unaware of that already because they were not, you know, probably by the time this psalm is in its final form, the Hannah story is old news. You know, this isn't recent history. <laughs> uh, so it's an, it's an it may seem like a story that's distant, a distant miracle from another time. And to be reminded, no, that God is still here and that God is still at work. Right. Yeah. Well, that's encouraging. I'm wondering, this is just a total... Okay. Side note that could be either a completely different sermon or uh, an aside in the course of it. But I, I'm drawn to the language of humility that, that Alter actually doesn't make use of in verse 6, where he says he sees down below, which <laughs> is the, the point of the imagery. But you know, if you were to just translate it as woodenly as possible, verse 6, it would be who, meaning the God who, humbles himself or lowers himself to behold in the heavens and in the earth. So it could be he's beholding from the heavens down to the earth, or it could be that this is this kind of movement. Again, it is a movement of seeing. It's a, I, I think stooping is, is a good translation. I think that's maybe what the, no, who looks far down. Looks far down. ESV. I'm trying to see if anybody uses stoop because that, that would be one sort of way to capture both the, the lowering sure. and the seeing all in one. But it really is this stark imagery of humbling, and it sets, and it's in contrast to verse seven, the raising up out of the dust. Mm-hmm. So it's that God lowers. Of course, I'm you know trained as a systematic theologian. I'm going to love this. I'm a sucker for these kinds of patterns. But <laughs> there is a parallel, a, a, a contrast of parallelism between six and seven. The God who humbles Himself in order to raise us up. Right. Yes. I mean, I don't know. I find that really, really powerful. That imagery, and it, it places it even a little starkly after you, you that's a, a sort of narrative tension that the psalm might have is this grand grand god yeah. and who is like our god on that scale yes but then who what kind of god who on that scale then comes down to be among us yes in order to lift us up oh man that's just really i just am really drawn to that imagery that the god who humbles himself you know yeah. Which, which will get all of my Old Testament colleagues uh, railing at me for saying, but we do have the answer to that who, not just as the creator of the universe who has created us in the divine image, but who literally took on flesh to dwell among us in Jesus. And so we see our capacity in flesh to bear the image of God because Jesus is God with flesh on. And what what the image of the invisible God. The very image of the invisible God, who being this image of God, was willing to humble himself 
even to the point of death. That's the ultimate humility, right? For me, you set that up in terms of, wow, that answers the question of the who. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be a kind of cheat that the New Testament somehow solves a problem set by the psalm, but, no, but you can, no. which isn't how you put it. No. You, you can even say it, see it as a confirmation. Yes. That this is the character of God yes. um, from the beginning. Same yesterday, today, and forever. Yeah. Exactly. That, that this self-humbling God, for the sake of our exaltation. I often ask my students, how is it that we recognize Jesus? And, you know, all of the artwork has, you know, the little halo, or now we're used to the long hair and the beard. And it's like, no, it's not the visual image. It's the character of promise and peace. And that's how we recognize Jesus as the Son of God. Well, in those terms, Jesus is all over this psalm then, Joel. <laughs> this is the- I can't help but read from my experience of the encounter of Jesus. And I think that's what happened in the first century, is this people who were steeped in the story of God revealed in the Jewish scriptures encountered this man, and everything about this man made them say, there is a God, and this God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Yeah, well, there you have it. I guess we have at least three poems embedded in stories that can be used as intertexts for inspiration, whether they make their way into the sermon or not, right? You've got 1 Samuel 2 in the Hannah story. You've got Luke 1, Mary's Magnificat, in the the birth story of Mary. And then you have, which you already quoted and alluded to at length, the so-called Kenosis hymn from Philippians 2 as a summary of um, the story of God with us in Christ. So, I mean... That should be more than enough to chew on for all our listeners. So thanks so much, Joy, for the hour. I appreciate it. I always Thank have a you, blast. Everyone. Yeah, thanks uh, to uh, all you listeners. We appreciate it so much, uh, you listening and getting the word out about the show. Thanks to Todd Bouchong for your editorial and production work. Can't imagine doing the show without you. Thanks to Tom Adamson for donating the theme music. Thanks to the supporters of the show. Uh, if you'd like to support the show financially, go to patreon.com slash fresh text and see ways you can support the show there. I got a day job. All that goes to Todd for all the work he does behind. She's happy to do it as a labor of love and ministry, but helps to compensate people for the don't muzzle the ox. So if you get a chance to, to donate a little bit there, just go to patreon.com slash fresh text and become one of our patron saints. With that said, have a good preach and a great week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>